Evening, everyone. Let's move this. There we go. Right, I should probably start the reading. Shall we um, open our Bibles if you have one, or flip your phones? We're looking at Exodus 2. And I'll try and find it first. Okay, so we've got two readings tonight. The first one is from Exodus 2, and it goes like this. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put him among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the river bank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Verse 11, Moses flees, flees to Midian. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people, looking this way and that and seeing no one. He killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two, Hebrew fight, two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me just as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian. That was the first reading. The second reading, which is a bit shorter, is from 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, verses 9 to 10. That's 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 to 10. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That is the word of the Lord. Let me pray. Yeah, Lord Jesus, as we've, as we've said already, we just pray, Holy Spirit, would you just come now? Lord, we thank you for your word that is alive, that is sharp, that is real. And Lord, as I speak tonight, may you help me to speak your truth. May you help us to be attentive to your spirit and open to your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. Does anyone know what's on Channel 4 at 9 o'clock tonight? Michael, what is it? SAS. SAS, who dares wins. Was anyone watching it? Or was it just me and Michael? There's one or two. It is literally one of my highlights of the week. 
You know, after coming here, I get to go home and put this kind of reality TV show on. And it basically brings together the kind of the hardest, the toughest, the fittest, maybe the craziest kind of individuals. You want to go up against one another and basically suffer as they are tested to see, do they have what it takes to be SAS soldiers, you know, special forces. You know, this is the stuff of my dreams. This is who I'd want to be if I wasn't me. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I, like, I, like a, you know, I like the comfort, so slight problem there. But anyway, these guys are fit and they're strong. And there's basically not much between them. You know, they are as strong as each other. But as the weeks go by and as they kind of get knocked out, what separates them? is basically their ability to face the reality, to face the here and now, to kind of dig deep into the kind of the hidden reservoir of like endurance, of an ability to like persevere when everything just feels too difficult. It tests their ability to face their demons, to face that little voice that says, you cannot do it, to face their hurt, to face their pain, It basically tests everything. And by the end, we have a winner or we have a few. And they're really the ones who have both the skill and the ability, but combined with just that unique quality of character, which enables them not to compromise who they want to be, enables them to stay on mission, to stay on task, and to execute the plan. And as we look at this little story of Moses and a supporting cast, What I want to kind of focus on is, one, the sense of call on their lives. They've each got a mission. They've each got a task. And then I want to think about how are they equipped to kind of execute the plan. And then thirdly, you know, I want to suggest that they are are defined by their character. And once we've looked at their kind of story, we're going to flip it onto ourselves and just think about, actually, how are we chosen How are we equipped to do God's work? You know, is our character going to be the thing that defines us or the thing that humbles us? So that's where we're going to go. So as as Mike has said, we're looking at Moses in this series. And in case you, you don't know who Moses is, well, the spoiler is this, basically, that he is God's mediator of salvation. He is God's chosen ruler and judge. Yeah, he is the one that will one day bring these kind of persecuted people out of Egypt, out of slavery, across the Red Sea in a miraculous fashion, and then towards the promised land. But in our passage tonight, we meet the infant Moses, born in kind of a vulnerable state and placed in the sort of the care of these three guardians. And the first person I want to talk about no, let's stop there. Let's, let's stick with Moses. What, what, what else can we learn about Moses? Well, first off, we read that he was a Levite, born to Amran, a Levite man, and born to a Levite woman, Jehochabad. So a pure Israelite, one of, the, you know, from the, one of the 12 tribes of Israel. What else do we learn? We learn that he was a fine child, There's a kind of a little parallel there to the Genesis story where God said he made something and it was good. There's a sense that God is just resting on him. And then the next verse, it says that that his mother placed him in a basket 
Well, the Hebrew word for basket used there is teva, and the only other place it's used is to describe Noah's ark. So again, there's just a sense that you know, this, this child has a you know, safe passage in his early stage. And then he finds himself inadvertently at kind of the center of like a great escape. You know, he is, he is born to this, this mother who has to kind of play out this, this role of a sacrificial love. She has to give away her child to preserve his life. And she has to give him to the enemy. But then a remarkable act of compassion <coughs> sees the enemy loan this child back to his mother. And then she gets to raise him for a bit before again you know, just testing her ability to kind of love and let go. She has to give the child back. And this time he goes for good. And he's raised by Pharaoh's daughter in the Egyptian palace. And he's given a new name. He's given the name Moses, which means I drew him out of the water. And again, you know, three times, it's just a foreshadow of what is to come. You know, Moses is not yet you know, God's chosen kind of mediator, but clearly, right from birth, there is just a call, a chosenness on his life, and God is preserving him. And he's doing it through three kind of unlikely characters. So Moses' his mother is called Jehokabat. She has the blessing of a child. What a joy! And a boy as well, which at that time was extra kind of significance. But unfortunately, you know, this boy was born at a time when Pharaoh was fed up with the Hebrews. They were multiplying. They were living out that Abrahamic blessing of multiplication. And Pharaoh wanted to stop it. He wanted to kind of suppress what was going on. And so he said that every Hebrew boy had to be thrown into the Nile. And so Jehokabad had this blessing on the one hand and what must have felt like a curse on the other the pain and agony of a life in her hands, but one that was going to be snatched away from her. It's set. She had other ideas. You know, when faced with the reality of despair, she finds within her a sense, you know, within suffering that produces a perseverance. A perseverance which leads to character and hope. And suddenly this remarkable plan is hatched. You know, she thinks, I know, Pharaoh's daughter is likely to be bathing in the Nile. You see, I think it's, it's too coincidental. And she thinks, maybe if I put this child in a basket and I just happen to time it at the right time, maybe this child's life will be preserved. It's a gamble, but it's a risk worth taking. And ultimately, her step of faith is rewarded. And so then we meet our next character, Moses' sister, Miriam. And Miriam is just but a girl, you know, the lowest of low at that time. You know, the Hebrews were, were slaves, and this was a girl. And she's sent right onto the front line. You know, her mother, I think, gives her instructions to go and follow the child, to follow the basket, to see where he ends up. And if, if he's found by Pharaoh's daughter... She has some instructions. She has to get herself in front of Pharaoh's daughter and then she has to execute a plan, all entrusted on this little girl. You know, the moment comes, isn't it, when, when Pharaoh's daughter hears the cry of the infant child and she gets, the, gets her slave girl to bring the child in. 
And rather than kind of cowered away, rather than kind of be overcome with self-doubt, this young girl, Miriam, springs into action. She confronts Pharaoh's daughter. And she, I don't know what she says, but she says something pretty amazing. Because she convinces Pharaoh's daughter not only to preserve the life of the child, but to loan him back to a Hebrew nurse who just happens to be her mother. Yeah, what an amazing execution of a plan. And then we have Pharaoh's daughter, the receiver of this child. You know, her father is a cruel, kind of hideous character. He wants the destruction of the Hebrews. Yet in this moment, we see something different about her. You know, she has a kind of an inner belief system of herself. When she meets the Hebrew baby and she knows it's a Hebrew, she knows what her father would say. Yet in that moment, she values the life. She sees the potential. She wants to preserve the life of the child. And so she shows courage to face the reality. She decides, actually, no, I'm going to, if you like, go against my father because I believe in this life. And so she offers a way out. And then she ultimately is the one to mother the child through to adulthood. You know, within this story, I think actually the stars of the show are these three women. You know, if it wasn't for them, Moses would never have made it to where he made it. You know, without really realizing it, they have kind of formed a passive resistance. You know, they have formed effectively the downfall of Egypt. There's an irony there, isn't there? It's birthed within Egypt's palace. It's a remarkable story. Back to Moses, our kind of showpiece character. Well, what happens to him between kind of childhood and adulthood? Well, we don't really know, do we, in our Exodus passage? It just makes that giant leap. So we have to look to Stephen's kind of speech in Acts 7 to get a clue. And Stephen tells us that that in his kind of early life, he's basically being schooled in the ways of the Egyptian courts. You know, I take that to be that he's effectively getting like officer training. You know, he's being trained in what it is to be like an elite, privileged somebody. Someone who could probably marshal or oversee, you know, or just, I don't know, rally the slaves or rally the troops. So he has this 40-year kind of education and professionalization, probably the best that there was at the time. So he's almost like a kind of a, a pedigree racehorse, you know, just ready to get out of the blocks, ready to go and do something. He's absorbed, you know, all the education and information that he could possibly stomach. But when he gets the chance, when he gets a chance to go, what happens? He falls at the first hurdle. It's a spectacular kind of mishap, a spectacular fail. You know, if you've got the Bible, if you've got that passage in Exodus open, we're going to pick it up in verse 11. It says, doesn't it, that Moses, he becomes this adult and suddenly steps out of the palace and walks to where the Hebrew people are. He surveys the land. He sees them hard at work, probably being punished and, I don't know, ridiculed in their labor. And then he looks around and he sees an Egyptian beating a fellow Hebrew. Now Moses, you know, he was this Israelite, yet he kind of moved into this Egyptian nationality. So he has this tension 
of a dual nationality. But clearly his heart is with his true people, with the, with the Israelites. And in this moment, he is riled, he is moved. And what does he do? Well, he steps to where this Egyptian is and where this Hebrew is being beaten. He looks to the left, he looks to the right. And when he's sure that no one is watching, he kills the Egyptian and he buries him under the sand. And then the next day, he comes back out and he does his kind of royal walk again. And this time he comes across a Hebrew fighting another Hebrew. And he goes up to the one who's in the wrong and says, what are you doing? You're not the enemy. Why are you hitting each other? Why are you fighting? And the Hebrew says to him, who made you ruler and judge over us? The irony. Yeah, that was one, or is to be Moses' call, but not yet. In this moment, Moses is stepping outside of God's plan. He's kind of self, I don't know, self-ordaining himself as the ruler and judge. But it's not his place. And then the Hebrew really cuts in deep. He says, are you going to kill me like you killed the Egyptian? Ouch. In that moment, what Moses thinks he's done in secret has kind of been brought out into the open. He's been found out. He's been discovered and he has nowhere to go. Yeah, his his whole world in that moment comes crashing down. He has to escape. He has to flee for his life. So Moses goes out into the wilderness, out into exile for what will be another 40 years. Why did it go wrong for Moses? I don't know, what do you think? I want to suggest that I think it was a character flaw. Moses was trained, he kind of, I think God had given him this kind of sense or perception about injustice. It's fitting that he would later be the one who fought for the justice. But if we look, at, look back at that moment where he's, he's tested, you know, it says he looks left, it looks right, to see what is going on, to see if anyone is watching. That says to me that in that moment, he actually knew the right thing to do. You know, he had that belief system, he had that sense of, of actually what real justice is. But in that moment, just that desire for kind of retribution, that desire to oh, just do something, overwhelms him. And he compromises who he really is. He compromises his belief system. It's a failing for me in character. It's a moment where I think he just steps out of God's will. He doesn't really know at that moment what God's will is. He's not walking in step with God. And he is humbled spectacularly. What does God do? Well, Moses has still got the call. So, so God is not done. He just, he just recognises that, that his instrument for salvation needs some more training. And so Moses gets another 40 years. But this time it's not in the royal palace. It's not kind of in the philosophical kind of debate. No, the next 40 years is about being schooled in what it is to be with God. 
for what it is to know he is Moses and that God is God and that he's gonna, if he's going to be his mediator, then he is only going to do it in God's strength. You know, if he wants to be God's instrument, he has to get in step. He has to fall in line. That is the next schooling. That's what marks Moses out ultimately. He has the competence and he then has the character. He's a redeemed individual. God does not give up on him. God just has to do a new thing in his life. So what about us? What about you and I? What can we learn from this? Who here kind of who here thinks they're chosen by God? Anyone? One or two of you? Okay, well I want to say that you are God's chosen people. It was our second reading, what Peter said. You are God's chosen people. If you don't know that, come and speak to me or Mike or any of the team after the service. And we are running Alpha on Tuesday, which is your chance to wrestle with what it means to be known by God. Wrestle what it means to actually question, is there a God? Is there more to life? Because I believe there is. I believe that we are sons and daughters of a risen Lord. We are God's chosen people. We are part of a royal priesthood. Yes, you and I, we are priests. There is a priestly call on our life. What does that mean? Well, it means that we are called to praise the name of the one who took us out of darkness into his wonderful light. All that we do really is to, is to reflect God's glory. Now, we can live that out in many different ways. We each have a different vocation. It's why we're all equipped and skilled differently. We're called to go into different places. Some of us in the church, but most of us out there in the world. To bring light into darkness, to show a different way. To reveal who Jesus is to those who do not know him. That is our priestly call. You know, we are part of a holy nation. You know, we are one body in Christ. Many different parts, but part of one body. We are God's special possession. You are treasure. You know, God knows that you muck up. But like Moses, God is there to do his good work through you. He will not give up on you because you are his special possession. You are chosen by God. And as I've said, you are equipped in many different ways, many different skills and gifts. You're a talented bunch. But you know, we need each other to help one another actually recognize our gifts and our talents, to recognize maybe our spiritual gifts. You know, discipleship is about doing life together in community. You know, if you're not sure of what your gifts or skills are, Get alongside some friends. Get a mentor. Let people speak into your life and encourage you. Because we want to be people who know that we're chosen by God and then walking in line with kind of what we're good at. And then, you know, like those SAS soldiers or like those SAS trainees, we need the character to back it up. What is character? Well, I think if we were a metal, it'd be like our properties. It's what we have within us to face the reality, like when Miriam had to kind of execute that plan. It's what we have within us. And I'd say also it's our spiritual being. It's our capacity to let God in. You 
You know, integrity is about being the same in the light as in the dark. You know, that moment with Moses when he was tested, he kind of got it wrong. You know, we all have those moments when we are going to be tested. Jesus was tested. You know, he was tempted. He was without sin. But only him, the rest of us, we're going to get it wrong at times. This is the space we actually have to work at. You know, this is the bit which we need God's help. You know, if we're going to do it, we have to be courageous. You know, we have to be honest with ourselves. That's the starting point. And maybe we need God's help. Maybe we need the Holy Spirit just to reveal, actually, what are these things that we have to be honest about. And then we have to be honest with God. We have to give it back to him. And then we have to be honest and vulnerable with one another. Because there will be things that tempt us. There will be things that have the potential to derail us. You know, Paul Harcourt, the leader of New Wise, said that you know, success, you know, skills and giftings can get you onto the stage, can make you rich, can make you famous, but it's character that can bring you crashing. You know, David, Samson, great examples of people who just came crashing down because of their character. You know, we will be defined by character. We have to let God in to that space. Does it make sense? Yeah, three points really. We are chosen by God, his special possession. We are all equipped and gifted and we will ultimately be defined by character. That's it, folks. What I want to do now is I'm going to pray for you and then the band are going to come up and we're going to have a moment or two just to reflect on what I've said or maybe what's been stirred tonight. And then I'll come back up and I'll just lead us in a time of response. So let me pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that your, your hand is on each one of us. That we are all your chosen people, your special possession. I pray tonight, may if nothing else, may we all know just how loved we are by you. And Lord, I thank you that your, your grace is sufficient. I thank you that you, you know us. You know the person we are in the light and the darkness. You know the real us. And Lord, I pray, would you give us the courage to let you into that space, to allow you to bring your, to bring your change, to do your good work in those hidden places. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.